welcome to Radical Math Talk, the podcast dedicated to the revolutionaries in math education. I'm your host, Kwame Sarfamensa, and on this podcast, I will highlight the incredible educators who are reshaping, redefining, and decolonizing the way that math education is taught in our schools. In other words, this will not be your typical math podcast. My goal is to center the stories and hidden truths that will not only ignite a cultural paradigm shift in math education, but more specifically, explore the multiple ways in which math can be used as a vehicle for social justice and anti-racist solidarity. So if you are ready for a math revolution like no other, then sit back, relax, and lend me your ears as we embark on this journey together. Enjoy the show. Hey, what's going on, people? Welcome to a brand new episode of Radical Math Talk, the show for the revolutionaries in math education. I'm your host, Kwame Sarfamensa. And if this is your first time tuning in to the podcast, I welcome you and I hope that you return back for future episodes and new content. And if you are a returning listener or viewer of the podcast, I welcome you back and I hope that today's episode is one that you find informative, enlightening, and of course, insightful. So before we get into the main event and introduce our newest guest, just to remind some folks, uh, if you're on YouTube, please make sure you hit the red subscribe button so you can get future notifications on new episodes. And if you are listening from Apple Podcast or Spotify or any audio platform, please make sure you subscribe there as well. And for those who would like to contribute to the growth of the Danny Talk Network, we do accept donations on Cash App and Venmo. So if you're on Cash App, the handle would be money sign ID Talk for Ed. And if you're on Venmo, the handle will be at Kwame SM. That's K W A M E S M. Thank you kindly. So uh, today's guest is somebody who is from my alma mater, which is always special. Um, And she is another dope math teacher who has her own firm and she is out there making sure that all students, particularly our black and brown students, are developing and cultivating love for math that will allow them to thrive in the classroom. And she's going to share with us a dope new product that she is introducing uh, this new school year. As you know, we always got to make sure we have our tools and and learning materials ready to go for a new year of learning. And she has something that is going to be very helpful for all of our math learners. And she's going to talk to us about that today, among other things. So without further ado, I want to bring on Miss Jalila Fraser to the podcast to talk with us about Fraser's Mathematics Solutions, her company, and the newest product coming from her company. So let's bring her on. Hello. Hey. Happy to be here. Yes. How are you? I'm well. I'm doing great. I'm blessed. Grateful. Yes. Always a good day to talk math. Always a good day. (laughs) Yes. 
So listen, let's get right in because we, there's so much to talk about. Now, yeah. on this show, um, we always start off with our segment called the mathography. So the mathography is just basically an autobiography of your math journey. And for those of us who love math, we all have a story where we talk about our first encounters with math, how we've grown with it over the years, and how we continue to love it up until this day. So I want to give you an opportunity to just share your story of how you first discovered math, um, how you've grown with it, and how it still stays with you to this day. So I'll give you the floor to, to share that. Okay. So once again, um, thank you so much for inviting me on the show, Kwame. Um, it's an amazing platform, and I'm so happy to be able to share my story, but also spread awareness to the things that I'm passionate about, but also impacts our you know, black and brown spaces um, in positive ways. So a little bit about myself and how I was brought into the math world. I would definitely say when I was uh, in elementary school, I was very much into like those brain teasers and I would get pulled out of class from uh, uh, this consultant that would come in and every Tuesday she would put us in a room and do brain teasers. And it was always challenging for me. I never really got the brain teasers, but I was also excited. I was always excited to be engaged in, in doing some of those puzzles. So I was always big on um, puzzles and I would do puzzles at, in my mom's, on my mom's table, like upside down. And she knew she always had to buy me like the latest puzzle and so forth. So I think I always had that type of um, brain where I wanted to do something that was challenging. And as I progressed through school, I recognized that for me, math was, was that piece, that world that I really got excited about. And I just had, you know, teachers along the way that was able to kind of steer me in the right direction and allow me to figure out that this is exactly what I want to do. And, you know, when you got to college, I don't know if this was your experience, but I know for me, math became a struggle. <laughs> it came so easy to me during my K to 12 years. I was mm -hmm. a straight A student. Yeah. It was to the point where everybody was coming to me for tutoring. Right. They paid me money to help them tutor and, you know, pass their tests and stuff. But I know when I got to school, everything just started becoming hard. Like, it wasn't about solving equations. It wasn't about getting the computations right. It really right. started to become more abstract, more about the conceptual understanding of different um, skills and proving conjectures and theories wow. and breaking them down and decomposing them. So that was a new concept for me at that time. So I'm wondering if you had a similar encounter when you got to the college level. You know what? Let me let me take you not just similar. Like literally, I lost my academic scholarships in Say college. What? Yes. Oh wow. <laughs> they snatched those from me really quickly because my ability to adjust um wasn't there. And outside of the math becoming difficult, the environment itself wasn't supportive or conducive um, for me to even like latch on and, and connect with individuals. And that was my first um, college experience. And I had to transfer because the money ran out. <laughs> but in terms of mathematics and just the ability to 
understand it, it was new math for me. Like I was really upset at my high school, like angry, like why didn't I learn this? Like I knew I could have learned this and why didn't I? And so like my first class in college was pre-calculus. I never learned about anything about trigonometry. I knew I could do it, but I never learned about it. So it was like really difficult for me to, to adjust. Um, and I was valedictorian for high school. That, that didn't mean anything in, in, in college. Um, and so I think for me, the message was that, no, I can't have my, uh, my students or, or when I start teaching, they can't have the same faith that I have, or right. I have to do everything in my power to make sure that they feel prepared for that college experience because some some students they may not know how to persevere properly through those challenges so i'm hearing that there were definitely times where you were doubting yourself and even questioning whether or not you are truly as good as math as you thought you were yep yep absolutely yeah that's <laughs> i mean yeah, even to this day, i question myself right like even to this day, sometimes I say, am I really as good? But then I have to recognize that, you know, what does good mean? Who's measuring good? <laughs> like, who are we putting that measurement up against? I'm really good at math and I love it. And I may not be the best at, uh, you know, this over here, uh, maybe calculus AB, but I'm real good at trigonometry. I'm real good at solving those hard problems that are like really big, long. And you know, those are my strengths. So it's it's up to me to decide. And I feel like, and I know that I'm, a, an, I'm an authority in this space. And you know what? This was something that I came to grasp with myself. Initially, I thought in order to be considered a great mathematician, you had to master all the strands, right. you know, whether it's algebra, geometry, right. uh, calculus, statistics. Right. And going through that college experience of taking all that abstract math, it really took a hit um, on my confidence. But then over time, you realize, well, guess what? There's different types of mathematicians. And I know right. for me, if you're looking for someone that's going to tutor you and help you with like algebra and geometry, I'm definitely your guy. Mm -hmm. But we mm -hmm. started to get into um, calculus. Mm -hmm. We'll have to holler at somebody else. Exactly. Because <laughs> I'm going to have to refresh my memory on how that was yeah. and, you know, how to deal with the integrals and the derivatives and, and all those other right. things that you learned. Uh, but you, you just kind of get to a point where you have to reframe your understanding of what a math learner is. Right. Like, what does it mean to to be good at math? Like, we have to unpack good. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think this is, a, this is actually a perfect segue to the next question, which is actually the first question in our Show Your Work segment. Okay. So we talked about the beginning of your journey how you got started with math, how you've evolved with math. Now we're starting to get into the work you've been doing in the field, your receipts, right? <laughs> so we talk right. about show your work is one of the most popular phrases we say to our students. 
they come to us with right. all the answers, right? No evidence of their thinking. Nah, I don't want the answers. Nah, Let me how you got there. Work. <laughs> Let me see your process. Show me your process. Let me see yes. how how you're thinking about it. You know, I want to see if I could help you think about it this way again, so that can strengthen yes. that part of your brain. Like, I want to see that. I, I appreciate that, and I want you to appreciate that. Because a lot of times students are so quick to the answer and they don't realize they're looking for, um, you know, that instant gratification. I got it right. I got it right. I got it right. My students in my class, they used, they couldn't stand me. Miss Frazier, I got the answer. Okay, let me see your process. And that's where you find the beauty of it. That's when you get the, oh, snap, I could have did it this way. And that's how they start identifying themselves as a math learner. It's through those processes and nothing else. I could give you the answer every day. Matter of fact, Wolfram Alpha could give you the answer every day because you can put, to take a whole picture of the problem and they will take you through the solution, right? That lets us yeah. know that the answer is not the end goal. It's the process. Yes. So. And it's so crazy how when we were growing up, it was all about the answer. Our teachers could care less about how we got there. As long as the answer mm -hmm. was right, yep. that was that was it. Yep. It was just that definitive. Now, you were talking about how different students learn, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to know from you, from your perspective, how do we learn who our students are as math learners? What's your process for that? Oh, man, it's different every time. But... What the anchor is, is caring about how they learn. So my first year teaching, I had a rambunctious class. Like when I tell you they would challenge me um, because they were, you want to say like the popular kids of the classroom and who is this young teacher coming in? So I literally had to make sure that I connected with them on a very basic level, like I'm, I'm who you are. Like, you can trust me. So for me, it's trust. It's them knowing that I care about them. And then we get busy. So we, I challenge them all the time. I would, you know, if, if I give a problem, I'll make sure that, all right, let me see it in two different ways. And this group has to give it to me. You have to show it on the board. You have to be able to, you know, like I was very intentional about the different ways I engage them. Um, I hated doing tons of tests and it, it when I became a supervisor in mathematics, I hated that that was my role. Like I had to make sure I was like the test champion. Um, and that was, that's one of the reasons I, I had to leave um, that role. But back to the classroom, like, you have to know your students and know what they care about and know how they feel about mathematics and ease your way into that conversation. They will cry. I can't stand this. I'm not doing this. You know, like those are the things that you have to be able to have a heart and, you know, tell them it's OK and say, let's work on it together. Let's do that. But it starts with getting to know them. Yes, um, absolutely. And I think in terms of getting to know them, um, it's something that we don't really put too much thought into. Like we're so focused on the assessments. We're so focused on the diagnostics and all the technical stuff, but sometimes it's the heart work, mm -hmm. like the social emotional work. That's really yeah. what makes a difference more times yeah. than not, because we, 
we tend to approach students as if they don't have any math in them. Right. They don't have the math knowledge, but in actuality, it's all about unpacking the knowledge that they have. Exactly. It's untapped math knowledge. And sometimes all they need to see is one right answer to feel like they are a mathematician, just like yep. how, you know, NBA players, they see one one shot go through the hoop. Oh, they're going to keep shooting. Exactly. Because they feel like the next one's going to go in. And, and that's exactly. kind of the analogy that I like to throw out there. You know, I had this one student that, she did not want to do the math problem unless I was standing over her. I didn't have to say anything, but she needed me in close proximity in order for her to feel confident that she's doing it right. And when I tell you this girl was brilliant, she just needed someone to just reinforce her. And those are those types of learners. There are some learners that really, um, like they they know a lot of stuff, but it's like, all discombobulated in there. They don't know how to connect the dots, right? And so I had to figure out how to engage them. So I would do some of these, um, you know, if we had like a, a, a really intense problem, it would be, I know how to start, but I don't know how to finish. Or I know how to do the problem, but I don't know how to start. Like I recognize the problem, but I don't know how to start it. And they would go into different corners of the room depending on where they believe they are. It would be some that I know how to start. I know how to finish. I'm ready for more. So they would, I would, you know, chart paper up, go to the side of your room. And based off of that, that's their own self-assessment. We regroup and then we take it from there. And so, but the pre-work as an educator is to make sure that you have the right examples and the conversations for the types of students. And you anticipate who's going to be in your group and what, and like how many people are going to ask that and maybe consider, did you teach that lesson right? You know, is this something that you need to reteach um, and, and, and so forth? So I think just bringing it full circle of how you assess your your where your students are, you can assess them yourselves, but they also need to, you know, take ownership where they are on their journey and be honest when they need support. And I think that's something that we have to model with our students is what does it mean to build agency? as a learner, mm -hmm. like what does it really mean to have ownership for our learning? Because we say these things, but as teachers, do we always model it? Nope. We, and that's why they don't, a... sorry, go ahead. No, no, go for it. No, I, I mean, that's why they don't feel comfortable to say they need help because we're not modeling that this is a safe space. Although there's so much theory out there that says, allow your students to take risks, yes. But I am not taking a risk in a classroom that seems that they don't appreciate the risk that I'm taking. Like if, if it's scary, like I'm not about to talk, I'm not about to say anything. And that's how I was in my pre-calculus uh, course in, in college. Like literally I felt stupid. And on top of feeling stupid, the professor made me feel stupid in ways because he said, oh, you don't know this? Don't ask me, I don't know this in front of these people over here. Cause that's the problem. Like, don't ask me that. Clearly, I don't <laughs> know that and know how to how to live within that space. So, no, we got to have ours. We have to allow that and the teachers have to model that and show how we are going to interact with them when they need that support. 
And I think math is that one area that really humbles us. <laughs> but it's you such think a humbling, such a humbling content area because even as you're teaching, you can find yourself making mistakes. I can't tell you how many times I've made mistakes on a board on right. purpose right. and intentionally in order to elicit some feedback from students. Because one thing that I've come to realize is my positionality as a math teacher alone can deter students from speaking up. Mm-hmm. So I know that I have a responsibility to uh, create a space where they're open to saying, hey, Mrs. Sarfamensa, you might want to check that computation. That doesn't right. look right. Right. And there's some who be looking at it all weird, like, <laughs> it's like, wait, y'all ain't going to tell me? Y'all really right. going to let me look stupid up here? Right. Talk to me. That's how y'all feel? Like, let me know. Let <laughs> me know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Some of my students used to be hyped when I make mistakes of like, nah, Miss Fraser, you got that wrong. I'm like, okay, show me. Let's do it. Like, we used to have a time in that classroom. Let me tell you, a time. Um, and, you know, even like within my first year teaching, my first course was geometry that I taught. I taught like three sections of geometry. And I never understood why we had to follow the textbook, like, you know, like there were some really juicy things in the textbook and then there were some sure. things that were just not so good. And I would just like make these PowerPoints and project it on a little TV screen. And that's how we would engage with it um, because I had to process it in such a way that it was chewable for me and then give it to them so that it's relatable to them. And the books didn't do that. Right. <laughs> They're still not doing that, but they're getting a little better. Um, and, you know, our students didn't really see themselves in these textbooks. Sally always going down somebody's ski slope. But what about Eduardo at the bodega? Like, when do we see ourselves as math learners? Like, our identity is literally in the math in these schools. And those are the things that kind of stress me out. Um, and one of the reasons why I decided to, you know, even start my company is to make it like, this is what we do. We, we're, we're great at this. Let's, let's, let's do that. So. And we're going to get to your company in a second. But before that, I want to ask this question, because you mentioned the idea of not having to always follow the textbook. And just like you, I am very much a supplementer. If I'm not feeling what the textbook is saying. I will search the internet for a better resource. I will create my own worksheets. I'll even create my own reference sheets, closed notes for students. Right. Like I actually have joy in doing that because I feel like if I I can scaffold it in a way that's going to allow them to access the content better, I'm going to do that. Like I'm not going to just follow a scope of sequence just because it's there. And that's what the districts tell me to do. So I feel like I was a, a rebel in that way. A rebel. Even though a rebel. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you know well, what? Um, yeah. I love that because so coming from so I was a teacher, I hate to file a textbook. When I became a district math supervisor, right? I was privy to a lot of conversations and understandings as to why they would want someone to follow the textbook or why we would want someone to follow this script. And so I do understand that, but I understood it from a perspective of 
if you know that this teacher is super successful at what they do, you kind of say, all right, do your thing, right? But if I know that there are ineffective educators and I know it because I see it and I see that you're not teaching and I see that you're not, you know, providing students with the things that they need, I'm going to tell you stick to the script because the script is probably going to provide you with the best resources. And as an administrator, you have to know your your teachers just as much as our teachers have to allow that flexibility amongst their students. It's the same thing. Got it. Now, what do you believe personally are the barriers that deter certain math teachers from creating their own resources as a supplement uh, to their students' learning? Low-hanging fruit, I would say um, some educators could care less. I've seen mm-hmm. it, unfortunately. And Same here. That I'm, you know, very passionate about in, in neighborhoods. They could care less about supplementing for these kids. Who are these kids? I go home and I drive home to, uh, you know, 30 miles away and I'm good. My school district is, you know, a blue ribbon school district or school. So that's low hanging fruit. Um, the like maybe next tier up is maybe they just don't know how, don't have the time to do it. They want to do it, but don't know the most effective way to do it. Another reason could be they are required to not go outside and supplement because the, you know, the textbook is the Bible kind of thing. Um, So there are so many different reasons um, why educators don't do it. But then for the ones that do, they understand that it's necessary. So when I was, you know, head of, again, supervisor of math and curriculum was what one of my things I was responsible for, that curriculum was loaded with supplemental resources. I mean, yes, this is a textbook. This is what we're following. However, this right here from open middle math, oh, we're going to get busy with that. This right here from illustrative mathematics, yes, this is what we want to do to supplement. Please use these rich math tasks in your instruction because maybe the book, where I'm not as confident with it. Like, allow yourself to do that. And then if you have resources, share it with me and we'll put it on, you know, some type of, um, you know, teacher resource sharing system. So I'm, I'm big on open educational resources and supplementing. Yes, yes, yes. But uh, the ones you mentioned, um, open middle math, um, illustrative math, those are two great ones for yeah. sure. Great mm-hmm. resources. So now you were teaching in the district. You told me what led you to get out of the classroom and and start your own company, which we're going to talk about right now, uh, Frazier's Mathematics Solutions. So talk to me about what got you out, and you started to share that a little bit, but but what is the overarching mission of Frazier's Mathematics Solutions? What are we trying to accomplish with this venture, this enterprise? So I'll come to the back end and tell the mission, but prior to that, I taught high school math for four years um, and high school physics for two years. I became a supervisor of math for the district I graduated from high school. Um, and I was a supervisor of math for about eight, nine years. It gets a little fuzzy. Um, okay. and, in, and in that role, I was grade six to 12. And prior to me resigning, I was K to five for a short uh, 10 months. Um, through me being a supervisor of math, I 
while I had access to students and I was able to engage with them, I was always in the schools, always in the schools. Like normally central office staff, they're not in schools. Those schools probably couldn't get tired of me. I got to the, it got to a point where it was like when we would go on walkthroughs and I hate walkthroughs because they're so intimidating. But when we would go on walkthroughs and we would see teachers and maybe students are struggling, like I would help the students and I would like get in trouble. This is a walkthrough. You're not supposed to be, you know, we're supposed to be observing a teacher. Yeah, but that student needs help. And the goal of education is to educate. And I'm not about to sit up here and do a walkthrough. And I see my student right here is like about to be in tears. So I think what, what not I think, one of the reasons that drove me was because I needed contact with students. It was a selfish reason for creating Fraser's Mathematics Solutions. I was overworking with adults <laughs> day to day and students brought me joy. They allowed you to you know dream more and be more of a kid and i love teaching them because they were ready to soak up information so my company started as a just a steam summer program in the summer and i wanted to give students authentic experiences around stem and not that little like you know building marshmallow stem stuff like it's cool but i like i was really intentional about the experiences that they had and what what they knew, um, what they would understand STEM to be. So we had um, so many different amazing learning experiences, trips, um, and, and illumination labs where they really <laughs> did STEM projects. Fast forward, um, when I resigned, I knew for a fact that if I was to ever, if, if the students were to ever have a, a real chance in ensuring that their future is connected or, or, or they are not fearful of math, no matter what subject area they go into or what college major or what um, career they choose, they shouldn't be the only people that are responsible for that journey. Every stakeholder that is on a student's journey should be a part of it. So we have so many people that champion English um, or, or reading, right? We'll have everyone stop, drop, and read, and you'll have the mayor come out. You'll have council people come out to schools, and they're going to, you know, do 20 minutes of reading with kids. Have you ever heard 20 minutes of math with kids? Think about how we galvanize people around um, reading and writing. There's not that type of messaging around mathematics. So it was important for me to create a company that shows that we are very much accountable for students learning mathematics and the messaging that we have around it. So professional development is what this company is all about, providing professional development high quality in mathematics to our five stakeholders that we have in the child's ecosystem. Man, you are speaking so many facts. <laughs> I actually had a talk with uh, Deborah Pear, who was on the podcast a few months ago okay. and she was talking about this very issue of how we, you know, treat literacy compared to math in our schools and just communities overall. And, you know, she was pretty much saying, listen, readers read, writers write, mathers math. <laughs> we have writers, we have readers. How come we don't have mathers? Right. And that's mm -hmm. her, like, that's her thing. Mm -hmm. And you're so right. Like we don't put that same energy no. into math. 
like we nope. do with reading and writing. And I feel like math is a form of literacy. Math is a language. It's a language. It's, it's a, a language. language. You know? Like, yeah. Like we have to acquire vocabulary in math in order to be able to communicate math ideas. Right. Just like you have to acquire vocabulary to construct ideas in other languages yeah. in, of the world. So yeah, we, we got to change that um that mindset. But speaking about professional development, I did get a chance to go on the website. And what I love about your website and the services that you offer is the fact that you're not just tapping into the teachers. Mm-mm. All the like all the consulting and you know, firms and organizations I know they do that. Everybody does that. That's standard. I do that, right. You're you're tapping into principals, administrators, instructional coaches, even parents, parents? and of course children. Yes. Like yes. that's something that you don't see in every um company. So I'd love for you to just talk about uh the the FMS institutes that you have for each of those different groups and how Absolutely. they're um, formatted. These FMS institutes were designed from pain points in my journey mm-hmm. as being a, a math educator, whether I was a math teacher, or a math supervisor. I recognized that there wasn't enough support from every single stakeholder that you see on there. Um, first of all, the principal, the administrators, they are or should be the instructional leader of the building. Instructional leader. That means you have to know instruction. That means you have to understand how to redirect instruction. If you, principal, are scared of mathematics, how will you ever give the feedback and support to the new teacher, right? The novice teacher that's just like bustling. Oh my gosh, what do I do? What do I do? They're struggling. How do you redirect them? If all you do when you come into the classroom is talk about classroom management or the very, you know, the outliers like the the board or do you have your objective up? That's not, that's very tasky things. That's not hardcore information to help people grow. What about the seasoned teachers that have been doing it for so long this way? They don't know how to change, right? As the world is changing. So what our institute do is we literally provide these stakeholders with confidence in mathematics. And the only way to build confidence in mathematics is to do math. Every single institute, our educators are doing mathematics. Like we're not just talking about, like while we do talk about equity because that's big, but we're not a company that's like, hey, you have to do math. Hey, no, we're doing math with our educators. We're showing them what a high quality, rich math task should look like. We're showing them how to solve it. We're showing them what it feels like when you solve it incorrectly. Right. And how students feel when they saw it incorrectly so that Come you on. know how to communicate that to your teachers, like how did, how your teachers should build a safe space because you didn't want to be ridiculed amongst your, your your colleagues. We do math. And with that confidence, we then say, hey, principal, now that you know what it feels and looks like, this is how you support your teachers with it. This is how you ensure that your your school year has a positive math culture. And outside of that, we also show them how to like, like nicely integrate the other things that create the culture in the school. What are you doing for women in STEM? What are you doing for, um, you know, making sure that parents come to your, your workshops? 
we see a lot of workshops where, yeah, we have parent night and then they come and they show the parents, well, this is the textbook and your students will be doing pages one to 100 in unit one. A parent don't need to know that. They don't need to come to, that's why they don't show up. But if you tell them to come because we're about to teach them math and teach them tips and strategies, we have tons of parents that come into our workshops just because they know what the content they're going to get. So, you know, our, our institutes are for that. And lastly, our substitute institutes is our newest institute. Yeah. Right now, we understand that there is a great resignation in education. Teachers are fed up. They know their worth, right? Um, well, some of them probably still needed to get out. Let's just be clear. However, there are so many that we are losing that are amazing educators. These right. students still have to learn. The students in our marginalized community, right, our black and our brown communities, they can't go to private school because they don't have the resources. What's happening? They have substitutes. Probably start off this school year. And they probably don't even have enough because substitutes aren't coming into the profession. So what are schools doing that are innovative to make sure that students still learn? Our substitutes need to have some type of language or appetite. So we created that institute to make it chewable for them, right? We, I know some substitutes that will teach their heart out and let's see how we can support them through there. So, yeah. And you're probably the first organization I know that looks out for subs like that. that because that's... I'm looking out for the students. <laughs> mm, Who true. touches the students? I want to talk to them. Who's in front of the students? I want to talk to them. That's, that's how I'm looking at And then you also mentioned the point about principals being instructional leaders. And this is a question that is off topic, but it's a question that I've posed to previous uh, principals and administrators in past episodes. So I just want to get your take on this. Um, do you believe that a principal should come into that position with prior classroom experience? Do you feel like that should be a prerequisite or are you okay with principals coming in and not ever teaching them in the classroom because the reality is we have both types of principals occupying our school spaces. So I'm just curious to hear your take on it. So I'm never one for absolute. Right. And so I've had this thought before and I was very like, you know, well, so, okay. I never taught elementary mathematics. But yet, my last year in a school district, I was the K-5 math supervisor. While I have tangential experience, right, like I know math, when they told me doubles plus one, I was like, what's that? Because <laughs> I didn't know that that's how students learned how to add, like, you know, like eight plus eight like so if I want to do uh, 15 I know I can do seven plus seven plus one like I didn't know that that was like a strategy right so what uh -huh. I had to do was to do my due diligence I had to do my due diligence and learn about it so that I can be supportive and be able to have a conversation and also be clear with my with my teachers I'm, I'm going to need your help if that's the kind of principle 
that's leading that school, oh, I'm going to be in his school or her school. But if it's the principal that hasn't taught the class and coming in the high stepping and very like author authoritative and you do what I say, you know what I mean? Like that school won't survive because you're not coming from a place of like, let's collaboratively work together. Like here are my gaps, here are my challenges. I could all, I, and, and see, that's when you galvanize people around you to support you. That's when people will work for you because they see that you're being authentic and you want to learn. So um, my preference would be, yeah, I would want you to teach a course or a class, but if you have it, what are you doing? What, what work are you doing to get you up to speed? Yeah, I totally agree with that viewpoint. And I think for uh, those schools where you have principals who have no classroom experience, the way the leadership structure is set up, they may have some subject deans or instructional coaches who carry the weight of that work when mm -hmm. it comes to evaluating teachers you know, in those specific subject areas. So sometimes the leadership structure in schools pretty much determines, you know, who's at the head right. um, of that school. Right. Yes. So um, we've talked about the institutes. We've talked about the importance of impacting all, all the different types of stakeholders who have contact with our students in math classrooms. But let's talk about some of the accessories and products that um, you are creating for students. And one particular one that I want to talk about from <laughs> the Dope Math product line is the Dope Math Notebook. Because yeah. that is what's out in these streets. What's <laughs> funny is I have a future guest coming on mm -hmm. who I think you know. Okay. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you all fair. Okay. But she was even promoting the Dope Math Notebook on her company what? website. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, I love it. Look, Taha, thank yeah. you. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let her, I'll definitely let her know. But yes. I want to talk about the Dope Math Book. So tell us what the Dope Math Notebook is and what yeah. separates it from other math notebooks that are out there currently. Oh my gosh, this notebook is so dope. Like, I'm so excited about it. What separates it from other notebooks? I mean, first of all, all right, you know how people always say, well, how do we get students to like math? And yeah. the first thing is like, well, you have to engage them. From, from the minute you look at the notebook, it's engaging. It's like, oh, wow, what is this? I've never seen this before. Just, and I'm, you know, because I got to plug it, right? Just like the Please. cool rap, like features, these math symbols on here. And the fact that it's called the adult math notebook is literally speaking the language for our students, this generation. They associate the word dope with something cool, something fly, right? So we beta tested this word. We, we said, hey, do you want to do a cool math notebook, adult math notebooks? We had tons of surveys with kids. And they said they wanted dope. So we're going with them. So, you know, our goal was to find out what they like. We didn't just come up with this. We strategically planned what they needed. 
Um, the other thing is these math symbols, right? It helps with muscle memory in mathematics. This wow. notebook was designed for students in grade five to nine. However, a fifth grader is not learning the absolute value of 2x plus 3 equals 5. However, they will see it, recognize it. So when they get to eighth grade and the teacher says, hey, has anyone seen this symbol before? Oh, I've seen it before. That's an entry point into conversation. Even if they had no idea what it looks like, they have language to say, I've seen it before with, with an X next to it or an equal sign next to it. And that begins the conversation. And that's where you start breaking down the fear of mathematics. So it was intentional that we wanted to lace these with symbols that you know can stretch and progress throughout a, a student's um, lifespan. The other thing that makes it different is we welcome them to this notebook. Like we're saying welcome to your dope math notebook. We give them instructions on how to use it, what they will find and why it's important for them to have this particular notebook. And then they just get to business, okay? Like it's lined with graph paper, so line paper and graph paper. You do not see that in notebooks. You see them probably like half and half, but every 20 pages of line paper, you get 20 pages of graph paper so that you can keep in that same section. And then finally, towards the back, it's the great appropriate reference sheet. So it's not just the multiplication table, it's all of the formulas that they're going to need, all of the conversions for their grade level, right? Their um, place value chart. And then because math should be celebrated, we're telling them congratulations. You've completed your first dope math notebook, like celebrate, you went through it, you, you, you got something, you did something that's amazing and they learned also like math facts. So like there's tons of math facts outlined here that they probably would not have known or learned about. And then finally, we give them tips, right? Math tips on how they can visualize a math problem and give them things to help them persevere in the math classroom. I mean, how is this not like any of them? Like, how is it, you know, compared? It's dope. Like, it literally is dope. And we see students' reactions every time they receive it. Every time they get it, they're excited to open it to touch it, to feel it, to read through it, and it's yummy for them. Listen, <laughs> I'm crushing on this math notebook so much. I think my wife would be jealous of me. Seriously. <laughs> Did you think yours yet? I mean, as soon as I saw the cover. <laughs> no, but I'm gonna definitely gonna get one for sure. Well, oh, it should be in the, it's in the mail. It, um, um, it should be coming in the mail. Yeah, I think I think it's coming. It's coming. Okay, all right. You no, know, it takes a minute. Yeah, <laughs> but listen, I mean, I'm looking at the cover. Like you got the the prime factorization, you got the absolute value, the slope nice. intercept form. You got all my favorite things on there. <laughs> yes, you know what yes. I mean? I'm like, I'm already in love. And that listen, was the cover. my team. My the team. Yeah, my team is dope. Like we really thought about it. And then just really quickly, just to do an unshameless plug. This is the, the sample notebook for our new version. So this is grades three to four. Um, and why I say it's the upgraded is because, you know, we talk about access, accessibility, right? It's very yes. accessible because not only do we have everything in English, we have it in Spanish as well. 
So all of our English language learners, they get a chance to like literally still use the notebook um, because, and like, you know, they feel good about it. They feel safe. And the last thing that makes it different is because we've upgraded and we have illustrations. So it's not just text, right? You have your math tip, you have your math facts, and they're all illustrated. And the other side is all the Spanish um, translations. So we thought about who did we leave out and wanted to, you know, upgrade it for those reasons. I appreciate that. And listen, for those who are listening um, from audio, don't be alarmed. That's just us turning the pages. You see how crisp the pages are. Like, that's how you know it's fresh. It's fresh. Fresh it's off the press. Fresh. Yes, <laughs> yes. But that's important. I just feel like we don't use manipulatives enough, right? We don't, we don't, we don't take full advantage of our manipulatives, especially at the secondary level. Yep. And listen, I'm I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. You know, mm -hmm. being a middle school math teacher, I know in my past years, I didn't use manipulatives enough to really um, address the needs of all my learners. So I wanna find out from you. In your opinion, do you believe that the struggles that our secondary level learners have in math are directly correlated to the fact that we have decreased our use of manipulatives as they progress through their schooling? Yes, it's funny that you say I am in the same boat as you. I did not use manipulatives the way I could and should have, but I also didn't know about them. And I didn't know where I was mm. supposed to learn about them because I was only, right. I was always a high school teacher. And so because that wasn't the culture of the school, it wasn't like an expectation. So I just was like, oh, I can use this. I can use that. But I didn't know about algebra tiles. Yeah. I didn't know about, um, you know, fraction towers, fraction tiles. I didn't know. As a supervisor of mathematics, because when you get into these spaces, you start like, you know, doing more research and trying to understand. I realized, wait, why don't we use manipulatives? So my second year as supervisor of mathematics, I made a district wide push. I contacted a consulting company and I said, listen, I need support and I want my secondary teachers to know how to use every single manipulative based off of the standards. I gave them my curriculum. They audited the curriculum and they said, hey, manipulatives can be used here, 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 here. I went to every single building principal. I had 11 schools, I believe, nine or 11. I said, I need you to support me in this initiative and I need you to allocate some of your resources to purchase this manipulative, this manipulative, and this manipulative for your teachers. I am doing a big uh, six to 12 uh, manipulative secondary math manipulative push. And every time we have a standard that's coming that we knew is, you know, it can, it can work with manipulatives. We did workshops prior to we also did so much video, like we had teachers signing up to get videotape. We had teachers team teaching and they were learning a new thing. So many teachers knew nothing about it. Some teachers couldn't stand it. Other teachers loved it. But it was important for me to understand that we have access to things that we didn't know, especially when they would always complain 
My students are lacking foundational skills. They're lacking foundational skills. What kind of foundational skills are they lacking? They didn't know how to add or subtract integers. They didn't know how to uh, multiply or divide fractions. They didn't even know how to multiply. So if that is their foundational skill, then why wouldn't we use the manipulatives like integer chips, right? To teach them how to add or subtract integers. Like if that's your struggle, your, your pain point. So it was huge, it was big, it was a big push. And I had to make sure I got every stakeholder involved and we, we ran with it. So to, to your story, no, we don't use it enough, but we have to make sure that there are people in place to understand the benefits of it and, and you know, work through it. So now I'm wondering, and this thought just came up as you were talking, why is it that when we evaluate teachers, we don't differentiate the rubrics that we use to evaluate them? Like you ever notice that? Like every mm -hmm. teacher gets the same rubric. Mm -hmm. And we know that math is a different beast in itself. Mm -hmm. It is very different from all the other um, content areas. So when we talk about manipulatives, where in a standard rubric do you see an indicator that talks about whether the teacher used the rubric in a lesson or, you know, whatever. Like, I feel like there should be a, a special rubric for math teachers when yeah. they're being evaluated. That's just me. I love that. I love that. But I would go over the rubric that we had to use with our teachers and I would say, hey, this is where I'm looking for manipulatives mm -hmm. to be used. So part of having an initiative is your follow through, right? So as I'm going in and I'm actually doing evaluations and I know that I provided you with the manipulatives, the resources, the training, the best practices, and I come into your classroom and this classroom literally is bustling with students needing assistance and there are no resources in the desk or, um, you know, and you're not modeling with it, then I am putting that in your evaluation because I know that you have the ability to do that. So... I would kind of, you know, set the stage and say, hey, this is where I know it doesn't say manipulative. It may say resources, but I'm going to interpret that as manipulatives because they are, in fact, a resource. But I do think that there should be something special for um, math evaluations. Um, so when I did more informal things, I would have my own, you know, special kind of thing that I use to evaluate teachers. I got you. Now, in the district where you worked in, was the evaluation process um, artifacts-based? Did teachers have to submit artifacts of their work as part of their evaluation? Yes. However, the district where I worked, being a supervisor, I never did observations that required a pre, um, like a pre-observation where you um, learn about the lesson that the teacher is about to get. Right. We would always do unannounced observations as a supervisor. So I would never get artifacts, but at the post-op, they are able, because I never finalize the observations until I speak with them because they could then bring student work. They could bring their artifacts and we'll have a conversation because I would kind of want to know what happened after the fact to like, okay, bring me the work, show me what happened. And so those are some of the conversations we were able to have. 
Oh wow, no, no pre observations. Oh, you putting their well, feet to the fire. Y'all not playing. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was set up that way. I can, I can go against that. You know, th there were so many systems, um, within that school district that I questioned a lot. And obviously, like, I don't know why everything is the way that it is, but there were very much a lot of systems that prevented um, students from learning the best that they could and teachers from getting the things that they need for students. Like, it was very difficult red tape around things that you would think shouldn't be. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. No, I, I got you. I got you. You know, we all have those certain parts of the experience that we're conflicted with mm -hmm. should i or should i not engage in it right and yeah you you definitely have those dilemmas for sure i know i had my share of them and that's probably a major reason why i'm not in the classroom right now is because of yeah. those dilemmas and having yeah. to deal with that but i see that you know, we're about to approach the hour so okay. i want to make sure we close out right uh, with our lightning round. So we got a few questions to close us out. First question I love to ask is, what is your favorite math topic to teach or learn about? I love teaching trigonometry because that was my pain point in college. So like mm. I could eat that up all day because I didn't do well with it in college and I made it my business to be the best in it. Um, my favorite to learn is physics. I know there's like a battle physics and science, but listen, physics is applied mathematics. Favorite concept to learn is physics because I learned physics as I was teaching my third year as a high school teacher. And it was beyond me why I've never taken a physics class before. And this was my first time. And I got certified to teach physics as I was teaching uh, math. So it was my favorite concept to learn because it blew my mind and it just you know, put more perspective into to different things. All right, cool. What was the most difficult math topic to teach or learn? Statistics. Mm. Don't give me statistics till this day. Y'all can have it. I'm good. <laughs> teach and learn. <laughs> okay. So when you walk into not just your classroom, but any room, Mm -hmm. What's what's your walk-in song? How you coming through? Um, dang, it's Drake's. When he was talking, damn, what's the song? Everybody, get your roll on. You wanna mm -mm, without a mention, girl, pipe yourself. That one. I, what's that song? <laughs> you oh, know oh song? that song. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I, it's not. Is it the one that had the the Lauren Hill sample? Yes, and Tracy Ellis Ross was in there looking fly. Yeah, that's my yeah. song. I know, I know which one you're talking about. I can't remember the name yes, of it, but I know which one you're talking about. Yes, yeah. That's my song. All right, it'll probably come to me after this recording is done. I know. Um, nice for see. what? Nice for what? Nice for what? There you go. Nice that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. All right. Is there a book you're currently reading? Um, a book I'm about to start reading. Oh man, where is it? No, I just finished, um, a book on Audible. I have a bad memory remembering books, but like, I know it by the color. <laughs> it's so weird. 
But um, I have a new book that was just suggested to me and it's more on a business aspect and how to uh, set up like bank accounts differently so that you have payroll coming out of one account versus, um, you know, deposits going into another account and why that system is important. So I'll also get that book for you now. Uh, cool. Okay. And um, if you can invite three influential figures that are alive to dinner, who would they be? Whew. Malcolm, Malcolm, definitely. Um, I would invite, hmm. I mean, so for me, it's not, it's not necessarily a person, but like, a, like someone from that particular culture. Like, I want to know how like our Egyptians really started like math, like, like from their eyes. So like it would be someone from that culture and what they did and the experiences and did they recognize what they were doing and how impactful it would be? Like, what was it? So that, and um, it would definitely be my grandmom on my dad's side. I dreamt, so I didn't really have interact. I'm from Trinidad. So I came here when I was a baby. So my grandmom was still in Trinidad and I probably met her twice in my life and she's passed, but she came to me in a dream and she was just rubbing my face and she said, baby, it's going to be okay. And I don't really remember that she, what she looked like, but I knew that was my dad's mom. So it would be her on a table to just at a table, just to like talk to her and, and, Cause I know she's there. Oh, wow, that's dope. Love mm -hmm. that. All right. Jalila, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, this has been a dope conversation. Uh, pun intended. Pun intended. Yes. <laughs> but before you leave us, please let people know how they can connect with you on social media and also uh, share the FMS website, please. Yes. Is this coming on backwards? Nope. It's okay. Nope. So yeah. on Instagram, you can find us at F underscore M underscore solutions with an S on the end. On Facebook, you can find us at Frazier's Mathematic Solutions. And our YouTube channel, if you go to Dope Math Battles, you are going to find a whole bunch of math battles that myself and my uh, director of curriculum, Asia Franks, we solve math problems two different ways, and we ask the audience to kind of engage with us and say which method you prefer, because we are very, um, we love allowing people to choose their method and showing that it's okay to solve math in different ways. So you can find us at Dope Math Battles. Oh, love it, love it, love it, love it. And I'm going to be subscribing for sure. Yay! Yes. You got a new subscriber. Thank you so much, Jalila. Thanks, Tanya. <laughs> yeah, we gotta we gotta do this again. Definitely gotta do this yes. again. We do. Let me know Probably when you receive your book. Oh, listen! As soon as I receive the book, I'm gonna make sure I take a selfie, blast Yay. it on social media. <laughs> Thank you. So everybody can get this. Yes. All right. Appreciate you. No, I appreciate you. This was fun. All right. All right, y'all. So we're about to end another dope and fantastic episode of Radical Math Talk. 
And as always, I wish you all good morning, good afternoon, good night, wherever you are in the world. And we are going to do this again another time. Peace out, y'all. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Radical Math Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, and all other streaming platforms. We are always striving to provide you with quality content. So if you love what you heard today, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And to check out the video episodes of the podcast, you can visit our website at Identity Talk for numeral four educators.com i'll say it one more time identity talk for educators.com thank you and have a great day